to talk about the seasons of the heart. It's kind of an overview of practice gleaned from my 25 years or so of sitting and walking. When I look back over my practice, I see that there have been very different phases. There have been times of lots of grieving and letting go. There have been times of boundless joy and love. There have been times of feeling really stuck and like nothing has happened. And there have been times of dramatic kinds of openings where I've thought, yes, this is it. Finally, I've arrived. And all of them have come and gone. And so these different phases of practice are what I call seasons of the heart. None of these seasons turned out to be it. And yet all were necessary. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. To give you a sense of some of the terrain that you might bump into in your own practice. Suzuki Roshi was teaching once, and it was towards the end of a long sashin, a long Zen retreat. And he said to everyone, he said, the difficulties you are having now, and then he stopped. And everybody's like, surely he's going to say, we'll soon be over and you'll be back happily in your lives. But he didn't. He said, the difficulties you are having now will be with you for the rest of your life. Ah, not what people wanted to hear at all. The person who told the story said the moans and groans were sort of felt in the hall. Not what we want to hear, but what if it were true? What if it were true that we will cycle through the same seasons of the heart over and over and over and over again? Where then is progress to be found? I'd like to put that question out at the beginning and we'll pick it up later. But first, I'd like to describe the seasons of the heart briefly. Let's begin with autumn. The season of autumn is a time of loss, of grieving and letting go. A time of endings, of things coming apart. A time of being stripped, of losing what we had taken for granted, perhaps. A time when everything seems to be dissolving. A time of saying goodbye and moving on. Winter. Winter is often the time in our practice when we feel stuck. Where we feel that nothing is happening. We are at a standstill. The fruits of our spiritual labors are not at all apparent. It may seem like nothing is happening. We don't know where we are going or what is to come next. We are truly in the dark. Spring, springtime. 
spring is a season of great enthusiasm, of faith, of inspiration, of joy, of open-heartedness, of connection, of renewed faith and devotion, a time of new beginnings and endless possibilities. And then summer, a time of great energy to do and manifest in the world, to bring forth all the fruits of our spiritual labors and offer them forth into the world. Summer is a time of generosity and service. Being aware of these seasons of spiritual unfolding in our lives puts us in touch with, you could say, the archetypal level of our human existence. Why? Because the seasons are impersonal. They are not a result of our personal will. Each season connects us with a set of experiences and challenges which all humans must face at one time or another. Cycling through the seasons as we do exposes us to all sides of human experience, the darkness and the light, the sorrow and the joy, the humility and the glory, the winning and the losing, bondage and freedom, creative manifestation and disillusion, love and fear, and on and on. We could say that each season has its particular gifts and its challenges. So let's look more closely at each season. And again, let's begin with autumn. When things start to fall apart in our lives, when the unexpected occurs, our self-image starts to crack, when our beliefs are challenged or our faith, when impermanence, suffering, and emptiness reveal themselves, it may be a time of fright and confusion. This is often the time when people are open to hearing the teachings of the Dharma, the truth of suffering, the causes of suffering, fact that there's the possibility of an end of suffering and a path which cultivates happiness and freedom of heart. It is often the confrontation with suffering that brings people to come on retreat, to turn inward and to explore more deeply. So in autumn, the emphasis in practice is on letting go. In this phase, the truth of ceaseless change becomes more apparent, and with that may come feelings of fear or grief or insecurity. We see that nothing stands still, that our lives will always be changing. Indeed, every change we have experienced will continue. People will continue coming and going, loving and leaving, dying, There will always be a new challenge or a new problem, as well as there will always be gifts or new opportunities or the sudden appearance of grace. We see quite clearly that having a spiritual discipline is not going to make things stand still, nor is it a way to avoid suffering. Again, Suzuki Roshi, he's very much with me tonight in this talk, 
He said, renunciation does not consist in giving up the things of this world, but in accepting that they go away. So in autumn, there may be a deepening recognition of the truth of changing conditions. And in that, we are coming out of denial about the way things really are. As children, you know, we are taught often to deny the truth of our experience. There was a recent TV program which showed children as young as two years learning to lie. They weren't very good about it, but they knew it was important to learn. Then they showed older children, nine, ten, who were really good at lying. And then, of course, there's all of us adults. As children, we lie in order to be loved. As adults, we lie for all kinds of reasons until we may not even know why we are lying. Our capacity as human beings to live in denial of what is true is quite stunning, actually. To avoid, to turn away from, to distract ourselves, to numb ourselves, to pretend. Part of what we learn in practice is this quality of truthfulness. It's one of the ten paramis. We reclaim the truth of our experience. We stop pretending. A little story. A six-year-old said to his mom one day, he said, Mom, pretend that you are surrounded by a thousand hungry tigers. What would you do? His mom considered it for a while, not coming up with any solution. She said, I don't know, what would you do? He said, I'd stop pretending. (laughs) So in this phase of our practice, we stop pretending. We recognize the truth of change. We open to it and relate to the reality of it. We learn to be truthful about our experience, about our feelings. I'm sad right now. I'm angry. I'm confused. I'm calm. I'm joyful. I'm okay. I don't know. We discover we can face the truth of our true feelings directly without judgment, without shame, without blame. In doing this, we may need to reevaluate some of the images we carry of who we are. We have an image of ourselves of never being angry, or it's not okay to be angry, or we have an image of ourselves as being angry all the time. Or we think there's something wrong with me and we carry this around. These ideas become impossible to hold on to in the light of mindfulness. When we bring our attention to our moment-to-moment experience, eventually we see that many of the definitions of self are based on what is very fleeting and momentary. That no one is always angry or never angry, or any other definition we can think of. 
we can see the difference between wise attention and unwise attention. What the Buddha called unwise attention is this thinking about things, thinking about ourselves, thinking about our problems, as if that is going to bring us to some solution. There was a yogi once on a retreat who just finally said to me, I just want to think. She said, I'm going to think until I come to the end of thought. I said, fine, let me know how it turns out. Let me know when you get there. Well, this was about five years ago, and I haven't heard from her yet. In contrast, the Buddha recommended wise attention, which is basically this practice of mindfulness. Not thinking about our problems, but looking directly at our experience and seeing what is true moment to moment. So in the autumn of our practice, we are letting go of many misperceptions, ways in which we have been in denial about the truth of change, the truth of suffering, the truth of the emptiness of our self-images. In autumn, we are aware of endings, of losing what was held, or the ungraspability of our moment-to-moment experience. It's a kind of loss of innocence about the way it really is. Autumn is a necessary season in our practice and one which we will visit over and over again. One of its gifts is learning that in the letting go we learn to forgive, And we learn about kindness. For we realize more and more that loss and letting go are true for everyone. I'd like to read a poem by Naomi Nye called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must also know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it, speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, It is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. So then we may find ourselves in the winter time of practice where we feel quite stuck. We feel that we are at an impasse where nothing seems to be happening. We feel lost in the dark. 
When this occurs, we may interpret it as the practice not working, that something is wrong with me, with the practice, and so we may experience some kind of doubt. Doubt in ourselves, doubt in the practice, or doubt in the teaching itself. When we think of what nature is like in the winter, we can see that it appears withered and frozen, as if nothing is growing. All on the surface appears dead. We know that life is hidden deep in the ground, but it's not apparent. So too in our practice, in the wintertime, we have a sense of nothing moving, of being stuck, depressed. It's, now, it's not at all clear how or when the hidden life in us will begin to emerge. It may seem that only more of the same awaits us. This season of practice may be the most difficult for many of us. The truth of change may not be so apparent. We may feel quite immobilized. Nothing is happening in a way that the mind can get hold of. What to do? In such times in practice, what is needed and what gets developed, if we keep going, are the qualities of patient endurance and resoluteness. Two more of the ten paramis, perfections. So I'd like to talk a little bit about each of these qualities. What is patience? What is patient endurance? We might begin by saying what it is not. It often can feel like or appear like when somebody says, you know, be patient, it's like you have to hold yourself back and grit your teeth and, you know, feel sort of grim and stoic and just frustrated that you can't move ahead. That's not patience, and it certainly is not helpful in practice. Suzuki Roshi, again, has a a definition of patience. He calls it constancy, the unchanging ability to accept things as they are. I like that. So we could say that patience is a long-enduring constancy, the willingness to just keep showing up for how it is, moment to moment. Achan Sumedho writes about his discovery of patience in his practice when he was a young monk in Thailand and living through uh, the hot season in Thailand. He says, In a monastery, the development of patience is a part of our way of life. In Thailand, you have a chance to become very patient because their life is much less efficient and you just have to endure. You have to endure through all kinds of unpleasant physical experiences such as malarial fevers and the hot season. The hot season in the Northeast is one of the dreariest things I've ever experienced in my life. You wake up in the morning and think, oh, not another day, 
Everything seems so dreary. You think another hot day, an endless day of heat and mosquitoes and sweat, one after another endless days. And then one reminds oneself, what a wonderful opportunity for developing patience. When I read this, I think that we're not, you know, we're not giving you enough opportunities (laughs) here at Spirit Rock. It's so lovely and comfortable. The temperatures are often just right. You know, it never gets too hot, too cold. There's hardly any mosquitoes. Of course, you do find some things to complain about, but uh, I don't think we're doing a good job of really testing your patience. Then he goes on to talk about how he always wanted a very sparkling, interesting personality. And during this long season of of, uh, mosquitoes and heat, he began to look at the water buffaloes. And he, he stared at them for hours. He said, a Thai water buffalo is one of the most stupid looking creatures in the whole world. So I'd sit there and create in my mind an image of a water buffalo becoming more stupid, more dull, more patient, and less of a fascinating and clever, interesting personality. He said, there's always some place somewhere that's better, but patience means that you endure through the way things are right now. Buddha wisdom is a very humbling wisdom. And it takes a great deal of patience to be wise like Buddha. Buddha wisdom isn't a particularly fascinating kind of wisdom. It's not like being a nuclear physicist or a psychiatrist or a philosopher. Buddha wisdom is very humbling because it knows that whatever arises passes away and is not self. So it knows that whatever condition of the body and mind arises It is conditioned, and whatever arises, passes away. To really see that takes a kind of patience. I also mentioned the quality of resoluteness, which I think also is important in that quality of patient endurance. It supports our ability to be patient. Resoluteness is the determination to stay with something no matter what. To stay with something no matter what. It is the kind of effort that we make in the service of our deepest intention to not give up. Another story that illustrates this quality of resoluteness is from Sister Chan Kong, who uh, is an associate of Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese nun. And during the war in Vietnam, she was helping villagers to recover from bombing, doing whatever humanitarian aid she could. And she spoke about one village that was bombed, and they rebuilt it, and then it was bombed again, and they rebuilt it, and then it was bombed again, and they rebuilt it. And then the fourth time it was bombed, she just got so angry and felt so frustrated and such despair. So 
So she went back to her practice. She went back to her practice. And in that, she said, I tried only to dwell in the present moment. And then at that moment, I saw a little flower make her way through all the ruin of all the bombing. There was a little flower still blooming in the midst of the ruin, and I was truly moved. I said to myself, oh, this little flower has done her best. Why not me? So I tried to look deeper. I saw that life is not only cruelty and confusion and ignorance, but life also has many heartful people, wonderful people who are trying to do their best. You don't need to see 10,000 flowers in order to see that so much beauty in life is waving to you and saying hello to you. You only need to see one little flower. One little flower gave her the courage and the resoluteness to continue. So in the wintertime, it's important to remember that something is happening, just as in in nature in winter. The life is deep within the ground doing the work it needs to do in order for spring to come. Just as the earth in winter is readying itself for new growth in the spring, so a similar process, we could say, is incurring inside of us. But the actual experience often of winter that we have is one of frustration and of not knowing, not knowing if when, if or when anything will change. There's a group of poems that are called the Terigata that are written by the nuns during the Buddhist time. And there's a poem written by a young nun who in despair decides to hang herself. And just at the moment she's about to swing the noose around her head, she awakens. She goes from despair to liberation in a moment. One of my teachers, Punjaji, in India, used to say all the time, it can happen in a finger snap. And so it can. It also happened that way with Ananda. Some of you may know the story that one of the Buddha's most close and faithful disciples who never achieved enlightenment during the, during the life of the Buddha. And after the Buddha died, he decided he must become free. So he practiced and practiced and got very frustrated because it wasn't working. And then one night, just as he put his head down on the pillow, just like that, in a finger snap, he awakened. Awakening can happen in a finger snap. And often when we least expect it, So eventually winter gives way to spring. A poem by Octavio Paz called After, which describes this transition from winter to spring. After chopping off all the arms that reached out to me, 
after boarding up all the windows and doors, after building my house on the rock of no, after forgetting my name in the name of my birthplace and the name of my race, after judging and sentencing myself to perpetual waiting and perpetual loneliness, I heard against the stones of my dungeon the humid, tender, insistent onset of spring. It comes. Eventually it comes. The letting go of autumn and the dormancy of winter give birth to new beginnings in the spring. And as we have experienced in our days here, this bursting forth of spring is so miraculous, isn't it? It's just like, where does all that come from? Right now, there's the wild lilies are out in the hills of Marin. I was out hiking the other day, and there's just hundreds of these wild lilies just springing up seemingly from nowhere. So in the springtime, suddenly there's this stirring of new faith, new devotion, new inspiration, new zeal for our practice. A sense of possibility returns that our heart's deepest longing for peace, for love, for joy is possible. Oftentimes our faith is restored, faith in ourselves, in our practice, in the Dharma. Whereas in the darkness and stillness of winter, we may have felt quite isolated and separate. In the spring, we sense our connection with all of life. Suddenly or gradually, we are once again tasting joy and lightness of heart. We experience our heart opening once again to love and to connection. We often experience a lot of bliss, light, rapture in our practice. We feel once again that our practice is working and that we are on the right track. Now, of course, the danger here is in thinking, well, this is it. Finally, I've made it. I've arrived. So a cautionary story that comes out of my practice. I remember the first time in my practice after, you know, long months of letting go and nothing happening and wondering where was this going and I was practicing back at Insight Meditation and finally I came into this place where there was just lots of rapture and bliss and just so much happiness and you know it seemed like finally and I really liked it a lot of course so I would sit for hours and hours in the hall and one day I was sitting in the hall between between sittings so the hall was somewhat empty but I heard in the back Lank, 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 a new yogi arriving, coming in to find his spot. So, you know how that can be, uh, n- noticing the noise. But what I noticed particularly with him was that the noise went on and on, and there was unusual noises, like I'd never heard a yogi make before, like construction going on in the back of the hall. So I, I had to look around. I just couldn't believe my ears. And sure enough, he had all these like wooden blocks with him. And he was like building himself this little hut 
that he was going to sit in in the back of the hall. He had a little construction thing going on. Well, I was feeling my rapture and my bliss, and I thought, well, you know, I'll just go back to my room and sit there. So I mindfully, slowly picked myself up and walked back to my room. Well, no sooner had I gotten settled on my sitting spot in my room than I heard overhead, clang, bang, bang. They're suddenly repairing the roof right over my my room. So I thought, never mind, I'll go out into the woods. It was autumn in New England, you know, beautiful sunny day. I thought, I'll just go out into the woods, it's fine. So I went out into the woods and no sooner had I gotten there than there were gunshots and helicopters and dogs that were in hot pursuit of a deer because it was hunting season in New England. Well, finally, I got the message. (laughs) It took a while. But finally, I got the message that I had to surrender my agenda for my bliss, my rapture. It just was not happening. I was trying desperately to hold on to this experience. So because the experience of these qualities of spring are so pleasurable, it is easy to be seduced. But over time, as we begin to move through the different seasons over and over again, we see more and more deeply that none of it is self, The impersonal quality of the seasons is what actually trains us, which teaches us what it means to open to the full range of human experience, teaches us what it means to hold the full range of human experience inside of ourselves, and in that spaciousness and equanimity to find our wholeness. C.G. Jung said, I would rather be whole than perfect. Imperfection and perfection both live in us, as does greed and generosity, hatred and love, despair and joy. In fact, all the opposites. Sangharakshita said, I am much worse than people think I am and also much better. Trungpa Rinpoche said, the key to warriorship is not being afraid of who you are. Ultimately, that is the definition of bravery, not being afraid of who you are. The full range. Do you get the drift here? They're all pointing to this imperative to open to the full range of human experience. The renewed inspiration and energy and faith of spring wants to manifest. And so summer tends to be a time of manifestation, of outward uh, service, of giving form to our inspiration, finding a path which expresses our deepest intention finding right livelihood, a way to serve, finding a creative expression of our understanding. So summer is a time of fruition of our practice. We find or make new connections with others. 
we search for ways to help, to express our dedication to the welfare of beings. And of course, this doesn't have to look any particular way. This may mean becoming a hermit, or it may mean parenting children. It may mean being an artist, a body worker, or a software engineer. Whatever path we choose, we are guided by all that we have learned. The letting go and truthfulness and kindness of autumn, the patience and resoluteness and not knowing of winter, the boundless love and connection of spring. We cycle through these seasons over and over again, sometimes quickly, sometimes lingering for months or years even in one season. Eventually, we experience them all. And we revisit them so many times that there's very little possibility of ever imagining that any of them is the final destination or that any of them will last forever. Over time, we grow in wisdom about the seasons of practice. We see that each season has something to teach us and we accept more and more just where we are. When we are in winter, we no longer yearn for spring. When we are in spring, we don't have any illusions that we have arrived. We know there's more to come. We begin to appreciate the interdependence of all of these seasons, that what happens in summer depends on what has occurred in spring, and that what has occurred in spring depends on what has occurred in winter. And that winter does not happen without autumn, and autumn without summer, and on and on. That they are an interdependent cycle, and that all are necessary. I like the analogy of seasons of practice as a cycle or a spiral because it takes away the idea that spiritual practice should be progressive in a linear, sequential way with clearly defined stages and a discrete endpoint. Rather, we pass through different seasons over and over again. (coughs) I asked a question at the beginning. So where is progress to be found in this cycling? It is to be found in our ability not to get caught, not to become identified with any particular experience or any particular season. The seasons of practice stretch us way beyond our limited notions of self. When there is no clinging in the mind, how can one talk about a level to be attained? I like that quote and I don't know who said it. Maybe it was the Buddha. Maybe I made it up. I don't know. (laughs) Through all the changing seasons, here we are. Again, I'd like to close with Suzuki Roshi. He says, When you are sitting in the middle of your problem, which is more real to you? 
your problem or you yourself. The awareness that you are here right now is the ultimate fact. Sit for a moment with this ultimate fact. The awareness that you are here right now is the ultimate fact. 